You never thought it would ever happen. Neither did they. And yet here it is. Look at Genesis 15 real quick. Let me just put a couple of things uh, on your plate. And then we're going to continue on with our service. Hey, Carolina, glad you're back home. Mama doing any better? About the same. Okay. Okay. All right. Genesis 15. Now, um, unless you've had your head in the sand, you realize that there has been a major attack uh, that occurred in the nation of Israel. You say, what does that have to do with us? Well, <laughs> pretty much everything. Uh, what happens whether China or Russia or somebody invades another country, including the United States, it doesn't make a big difference. When you start seeing things focusing back over on Israel... That's something that should catch your attention. If nothing else, you should be thinking to yourself, okay, well, that's God's holy city. Now, I uh, want to just make you aware of a couple of things, and most of you uh, already know what I'm fixing to, to tell you, but there is no such land as the land of Palestine. The Palestine, uh, the Palestinians, that all came from a Roman government, Roman emperor that took that over way back when. In about 1921, um, when Winston Churchill sat down and made the statement, with one stroke of the pen, I've uh, divided that land, he divided God's land. Yes. That land is promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. The passage I'll show you here in a minute in Genesis 15 is when the Lord made a pact and granted that land to Abraham and his offspring. That land belongs to the nation of Israel. It doesn't belong to anybody else. Now, even in 1921, there weren't the Arab uh, cluster of Arabs that were there. There were every other kind of people in the nation that were over there. And uh, so then all of a sudden they wanted to be granted national status. Well, you want to be careful about following the news media and those things. You got to go by what the book says. Now, that's God's, that's God's land. And if you're going to mess with something, you don't want to mess with God's stuff. Achan messed with God's stuff. Got him in trouble. He got a passage in Deuteronomy uh, 28 where God uh, gives the nation of Israel and he tells them, if you do what I tell you to do, I'll bless you. And if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'll rejoice over you to bless you and I'll rejoice over you to, to ruin you, to curse you. That's what it says. That'll be around 17 or 18 there where the Lord says to the nation of Israel, I'll rejoice when I smash you to smithereens, which is what he did. In 1921, when Churchill penned that, within a short period of time, if you study history at all, uh, they wound up losing their portion down there in uh, South Africa. They lost their, uh, a whole lot of the land that they owned at that particular time or that they were overseeing. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Germany began bombing the uh, British and British Isles and British and all that, not British Isles, but uh, Britain, and England and that kind of a deal, right after he signed that, you say, why? He's messing with God's land. He's not messing with people. The land grant is land. Now, the hard thing to get Americans to see is twofold. Number one, if you're a Christian, you have to get used to number one, he that is spiritual judgeth all things. You have to get used to being judged and you have to get used to making judgments. And you have to judge according to the Bible. And if you don't judge according to the Bible, then you're judging according to the book of Judges and doing whatever's right in your own eyes. And that's why we go by a Bible here if you're visiting. The reason is because we know we're wrong. 
and the Bible's right, and we get deceived, and we get messed up, and you have to get accustomed to that. So when you start hearing all the stuff going on, you're right to get excited about it in the sense of, does this mean, I uh, heard, uh, I guess yesterday afternoon late, one preacher's already saying they're getting ready for the battle of Gog and Magog. Well, you know, it's like sometimes the best thing to do when you don't know what to say is don't say anything. You open your mouth and show how stupid you are. Uh, the majority of you folks here know the Battle of Gog and Magog doesn't take place until after the Millennial Kingdom. And then one preacher said, well, it's, you know, they're lining up for the Battle of Armageddon. You think you've been in the Tribulation? We haven't had the Tribulation period. Satan hadn't sat over there in the temple and called himself God. None of that's taken place yet. And so the, the preachers are jumping the guns. One preacher said the four horsemen of the apocalypse are beginning to ride. I guess, I don't know, because they fired 500 rockets or whatever it may be, which probably some of the munitions that were, let me see how I can say this carefully. <laughs> some of the munitions, uh, about $80 billion worth that were given to uh, the Ukrainians probably wound up getting sold on the black market to use against Israel. Now, I, that's my viewpoint. But if the Bible's right, the Lord said He's going to gather all nations against that nation. And so, is that the beginning of that? I'm going to tell you right now what I think it is. I think it is a spin-up to see how people respond to uh, their reaction to people entering over there and they were as a surprise attack, which is really strange if you know anything about Mossad, they were caught off guard. That's a strange thing that happened. That's an unusual thing for it to occur unless the Lord just blinded them and allowed it to happen so it could instigate whatever's coming. But as sure as I'm standing here, what they're checking you out on is to see how you respond to the fact that somebody's trying to take over land that doesn't belong to them. Now, you get all upset about there being mass shootings and mass uh, uh, school shootings and that kind of a thing, rightfully so. Where's the outcry for over 500 uh, people being killed and both women and children and old and young being snatched off the street and taken hostage and rockets and bombs falling and all that stuff? You right now in the United States of America have rejoicing going on over that. Now, somebody came into your house and slaughtered everybody in your house and took your land for you. Do you think maybe your kinfolk might get upset? Why is nobody upset about the fact they're moving in and taking land that doesn't belong to them? Some of you think, well, you know, they've had it long enough. That's not their land. That's God's land. And when you do that, you're in trouble. Now, I'm going to say this and I ask for permission to say it, but that thing is going to come down to local government stuff. And uh, unfortunately, he's going to have to deal with some of these things that are going to happen in Duval County. And the governor is going to have to take care of things in the state of Florida. And it'll go county by county, city by city, and state by state. And God's going to see how people handle it. And if ever somebody needed the wisdom of Solomon on how to walk that tightrope, you better be praying. Amen. And if you don't pray, you say, why? Because you're going to face a whole lot of things a whole lot more. Your, your war, again, nation against nation and all that kind of stuff is going to turn from just crime to become everything has a political affiliation to it. And it's going to be connected to the Jew. The Lord's starting to pull everybody in and pull it into that little old thing about the size of Rhode Island and pull everybody in there. 
Now you got three rivers over there. You got uh, Tigris, Euphrates, uh, Hittikel that's there. And those three rivers are promised here in the passage to, uh, to Abraham. And Abraham is asleep during the passage, if you're looking there. So he's not even awake making agreement. He has no consent to it at whatsoever. Nothing. He has nothing to do. If you do this, I'll do that. None of that. It is a free land grant that God said, I'm giving it to you. He's asleep. He doesn't, as a matter of fact, at the point here, he's not even a Jew. He's a Hebrew. He's not a Jew until the circumcision starts two chapters later. You have to read to know that. But who would have thought you're right here in Genesis 15 and you're there now? That thing goes all the way back to Genesis chapter number two. You can't go any further back than that. When that land over there, eastward in Eden, uh, eastward in Eden, that'll be where you were several years ago. That's called, that's around where Kuwait is. That's God's land. And they're dividing it up and giving it to everybody. It's not just Jerusalem. It's that whole piece of land. You read the passage in the millennium where the Bible says that the desert will blossom like a rose. How many have ever read that before? That's not botanical. That's human beings. That's the 12 tribes that are divided up in that land. And that land runs from all the way over by the ocean all the way to the other side over there, the river of Euphrates and the Tigris and the Hittikel. That whole thing belongs. That's the blossoming he's talking about. He's not talking about they brought in irrigation now and now you've got palm trees and dates and you've got roses. And that's not what he's talking about at all. The desert shall blossom like a rose. That's his people being put back in their land. Folks, you you got to realize this is a this is a little bit more than a spin up. If you look at time and the way things are going right now, uh, God will put up with a lot of things. But when you start messing with His land, you go back historically and you look what happened when they wrote the Balfour Declaration, and you look at the nations that signed off on that, and watch what God let happen to them. Now your nation is going to be judged. Your nation is uh, less than a drop in a bucket, less than nothing. You know, God bless America. God is, America is not even in it. Right. Now, the thing you want to recognize is your nation and how your politicians respond to what's going on over there. God's going to hold accountable. Amen. Yes. Amen. And you may not like the Jew, but you're required to love the Jew. That's Romans uh, 11. They're your enemies for the gospel's sake. But they're God's chosen people. So you're to love them. Well, I don't like him and all this. He doesn't care. He said you have to love him. So what you have to wind up doing, George Beverly Shea used to sing about loving your enemy. That thing he's talking about is in Romans uh, 11. That's the guy that used to sing. is a big uh, baritone or tenor that used to sing there for uh, Billy Graham. But that's what he's talking about. You may not like him, but you better learn to love him. Now, what I'm going to show you here in a second is, is this is a land grant that's given and it's given as a free gift and that's God's land. So you can say, well, they're taking it away from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Yeah, but honest, uh, but, but who originally signed it over to them is God. So you're messing around now in God's land and uh, you're in a dangerous position to do that. Anybody that messes with that land, they're in a dangerous position. Where's it going to go? I think the Lord's allowing it to happen. This is speculation. I don't have Bible verse for it. He's going to see what side of the fence you're going to fall on. And so I'd be careful about making too many observations about it and 
speaking up uh, publicly about, well, you know, the Jews have to learn to quit grabbing the land and the Jews have to this and you, you might want to shut your trap. All right, look at this thing in Genesis 15. There he's offered the sacrifices and so on and so forth. In verse number 10, the fowls come down upon the carcasses and he drives them away. Look in verse 12. The sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and heart of darkness fell upon him. And he, that would be God, said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. He's telling them they're going to go into Egypt over there, and for 400 years they're going to be, before it ever happened. And then he comes down and he says in verse 14, And also the nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great abundance. So they get all the substance and stuff that comes out with them when they come out of you know, great uh, substance. And thou shalt go to the fathers in peace, and thou shalt bury in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for their iniquity of the Amorites is not full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those two pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed... Have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and the Kenites and the Kenzanites and so on and so forth. All right, now you're going to realize this right here. Unto thee and to thy seed, I'm giving you that land. That land is that whole area over there. If I had a map, I'd show you the whole area. That whole thing belongs to Abraham and his seed or Abram and his seed and eventually Abraham. And that's God's land. And anybody that invades that, they're trespassing. Now, you, you think your border wall is a problem, and well, the people are coming in in droves and all that kind of a deal. Sure, absolutely, no problem as far as your American rights are concerned. But this land is not God's land. You're inhabiting a land and appreciate the freedoms and those kind of things, but you're not the same. You haven't replaced the nation of Israel like replacement theology teaches. That's still God's people, and that's still God's land. You're not God's people, you're God's bride. You don't take Jewish promises and apply them to yourself. That's for the nation of Israel. So those things wind up taking place, and it's important for you to know, come over to the, the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I want to get into a practical study now. I could stay on that other stuff for a long time. Uh, just watch what happens and watch what they decide to do, but uh, rest assured... I promise you, I guarantee you 110,000% that behind that whole thing is a diabolical scheme that's put together by the devil himself to try to take that land because that's God's land. An old preacher wrote a book a bajillion years ago now. It's called A Deadly Piece of Dirt and it's worth your time to read it. Now it's geographic in nature and it's historical in nature. Uh, and it's, it's dry. It's not even practical in application, not like I'm fixing to do with the Bible here. It's just historical things. You've got more verses in the Bible on that land and on the second coming of Christ than you do on verses on how to be saved. The theme of that book is when the Lord comes back down here to take what rightfully is His. And so if you want to find it, it's not the people, it's the land. And so what you want to do is, is if you want to get it and read it, and I'm telling you now, it's not, it, it, it's dry. Uh, but for me, it's better than War and Peace. I read War and Peace just for the fact of saying I got to read it because it was that, you know, big. And what did you get out of it? Not much at all. Uh, I guess it's supposed to be some kind of a theological 
manuscript to try to tell you about what happens in different times. I guess historically there's some importance. But what I like about the uh, deadly piece of dirt is it gives you the historical reference, the pinpoint of where you are. If Adam and Eve started eastward in Eden, where the Garden of Eden is, and you're over there in Kuwait, you're, you can't go any further back unless you go to Genesis 1. You're there now. So that means you're at the end of history. That means if you're going to get something done for the Lord, you better get it done now. You say, well, you know, they've been saying that. Yeah, but what if? You don't ever want to ignore it. You know, well, in 1967, in the three-day war, whatever, and this and that and the other. Yeah, God supernaturally intervened. You say, why? It wasn't quite ready for everything yet. But if you look at the battle maps of that thing, though they were completely surrounded. They had already put together a conspiracy. Trust me when I tell you Hamas wouldn't have flown gliders across the rivers and th those kind of things if they had not had known support and promised support for an extended campaign. That stuff's coming in from somewhere. It ain't sitting out in the, or isn't sitting out in the bay somewhere in the hole of a ship. I'm talking billions of dollars worth of artillery. Those people are poor as church mouths. They don't have that stuff. The majority of what they make is, is they get jet fuel or rocket fuel and mix it with uh, bags of fertilizer, and they're pretty good at that. But other than that, everything they get, they got to beg, borrow, and steal. They're a puppet. And Russia and Iran and those people will start funneling money to them. And if they do, then it'll be because the Lord said, okay. Why so much interest in that little piece of land? Isn't that interesting to you? Does that not, doesn't it just, I mean, even if you're just, a, just, just completely dead to history or reading books or anything else, isn't it interesting to you? What is over there? <laughs> Have you ever been, few of you have been over there, but you ever look at the land around that one city? Man, I mean, you'd have to be a goat herder to want to live over there. There's nothing over there. It's just a desert and rocks and stones and caves and caverns. Why so much interest in that? Because it belongs to God. I mentioned to you earlier, Achan got messed up because he took something belonging to God. It in your body, the temple of the Holy Ghost. Doesn't he own it? Probably ought to be careful what we do with God's stuff. In the tie of the Lord's? <laughs> Better be careful. But what if that's his land? Now, God comes over there and um, the name of the king that got the first ten southern tribes there, I can't, it won't come to my mind. Sennacherib comes in there. And when Sennacherib comes in there, he takes those ten northern or, or southern tribes and he takes them all the way over to an area in the Golan Heights, which they tell you belongs to somebody else. That's God's land. And then Judah and them go into apostasy. That's your northern tribes. And I can't remember the name. I can't remember all this stuff. It's been a while since I looked at it. But uh, uh, they take those two tribes. And then the Lord lets them start coming back in in the 1920s. And then by the 1940s, they start coming back in there. And in 48, they decide to make them a... To, uh, to make a mistake. But uh, God allow, allows them to be destroyed for a period of time because they didn't do what they said they were going to do. And now God's gathering them back over there. And somebody's trying to scatter them. You say, what do you think about that preacher? Oh, I say, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's what I say. 
I'd rather go up than stay. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Some of you are thinking, man, that scares me to death, man. I'd rather live my life. I don't know why. I told a friend of mine the other day, he was asking about the, I'm coming to this here in a second, Hebrews 12. Uh, I, I said to him, he was asking some questions along these lines before the attacks or anything else. And I said, brother, to be honest with you, the questions that you're asking me, I can't answer unless somebody is a saved person. I can't see a point in living a life if there's no Christ in it. I don't, I don't, there, I mean, if, if there is no Christ, if there is no Jesus Christ, there is no God, and there is no judgment, and there is no living eternally, well, what's the point of providing and working and doing all that? I mean, you can only enjoy it so much, and by the time you get enough that you think you could enjoy it, you're too old to enjoy it, or you don't care to enjoy it anymore, right? Well, you, you ever pause to think about it? If, if we're not living here for the Lord Jesus Christ... What is, what is life? I mean, I just, I got to look and I went to the room there and I sat down and I just wrote down about a half a page of things and I wrote down those things and what are they worth in sight, light of eternity if there's no eternity? And how many decisions have you made without even considering eternity? Because none of those decisions account to anything. And I thought, man, what, a, what, a, what, what would be your point in life? Live high on the hog, low on the chicken. And well, if there's no God, then why not just live wicked and sin? Why not be, how about this? Why not just be lazy? Why not get up when you want to, let somebody else pay for your housing, go to bed when you want to, fornicate and drink and get drunk and eat and swell up and be 900 pounds? Why not? If there's no God, don't listen. I'm not saying do that. I'm saying... If there's no God, if there's no eternity, what's the point of life? I mean, I'm not like, hey, how fast could I excel to the top and get everything I could get? Everybody tries to take everything you got. <laughs> Just leave low and be under the radar. Live like a dog. Take whatever somebody else has and enjoy it as long as you can. And then you kick off and you're done. But if the Bible's right then you understand the passages where the Lord wrote some stuff down and said you better be careful that you are able to get a full reward. Yes. Amen. Don't let nobody take your crown from you. Amen. Am I right? Yes. Amen. When did you get here, man? You slipped in through the corner. <laughs> All right, Hebrews chapter 12. Now I get spun up about that a little bit because it excites me, but it also centers me. You hear me? It excites me, but it centers me. It makes me realize if that's the trumpet out of the case and the Lord's beginning to strike up the orchestra, I better take account of my own life. Because God's not going to ask you what you think of me because you only know me here. God knows everything about me. Why I did it, the reason I did it, all that other stuff. What I have to do is take account of my own life. It's a self-test to get to grade my own paper. Boy, when I see that stuff, it gives me chicken skin. Did you read your Bible for the right reason or just out of duty? How about your prayer life? You just pray when you need something or want something? Are you praying the James 3 or James 4 prayer? Lord, I'm, I'm having you said you have not because you ask not. You ask me. Yeah, but you're taking out of context. You're asking God to bless something you know is wrong to begin with to avoid judgment. <laughs> How about your influence on other people? 
I'm talking about me. When I see that stuff, I'm thinking, what if all of a sudden a big explosion goes off and the Dome of the Rock, uh, the Muslim mosque up there is gone and it, it goes? Would that get your attention? You know, what's funny is, is that people let an attack on Israel get their attention more than weekly Bible preaching. You're in unusual times, ladies and gentlemen, and the tendency is going to be to drift away, to drift away, to drift away, to drift away. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, he talks about, let us not sleep as those that sleep in the night, and let us not be drunken as those that are drunken in the night. You say, what's happening? Your eyelids are getting heavy spiritually. Preacher, you know, I just can't keep doing this. It's just too much. What is it? That devil wearing out the saints, Daniel 7. It's here now. What I hear probably more than anything I hear than anything else I hear is, Preacher, I'm just so tired. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. Are you tired? I'm tired. I'm so tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I have a 14-year-old kid just, just full of energy, you know. Works about 20 minutes. Yeah, I got to sit down, man. I need a break. Uh, what? Preacher, we're not made like you were made back in the day. I don't even know what that means. But I can't imagine working 15 minutes and I need a coffee break. <laughs> Some of you are getting kind of nervous right now. You're thinking... Man, don't be telling. I told my wife it's spiritual to come to your apart and rest a while. Yeah, a while. <laughs> Not all day. Some of you are resting spiritually, aren't you? Taking a little easy, aren't you? A little more sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands. I'll get to it one day. Did you, you come, don't raise hands. Did you come looking for God to give you something today? What if God decides to give you Brussels sprouts, turnips, and, uh, and, and broccoli today Amen. instead of key lime pie and ice cream yes, sir. or cinnamon rolls, yes, sir. manna from heaven? All right, Hebrews 12. Now, we talked last week about slipping away, and I don't mean you can lose your salvation. I'm talking about spiritually. If you don't pay close attention to the things that God would have you to be centered on, you can let those things slip away. I know uh, a period of time, right after I got saved, I didn't have much of a hunger for reading the Bible and stuff like that, but I had a hunger for Bible stories. I'm not a Calvinist, but I just, I wanted to learn more. I was interested in that. And I wanted to see friends that I knew and stuff like that. I wanted to see those individuals who got uh, to get saved. I had a desire, sort of, so to speak, as much as a seven-year-old can have. I wanted to be in church. I liked it. I thought it was good. I didn't know anything about the brethren and all the other kind of stuff. My mom and dad never talked about all that. Can you imagine pastoring a church of nearly 3,000 people and coming home and never having a word to say? Can you imagine the kind of trouble that was there? I don't ever remember them ever discussing it at all. A church up in Tennessee, I think, had about 1,200 people there. That's a lot of people. I don't remember them discussing. I know there were trouble. I know there was. I know now, but back then, he didn't mention none of that stuff. 
I wanted to be at church, not just to see my friends and stuff like that, but I wanted to learn about some things. But as I began to grow older, you know what I realized? I realized that before long, not because of being wicked and ungodly and that kind of deal, before long you get busy. That's the message will be this morning. You get busy here and there. And next thing you know, the things of God kind of get squeezed away. And in the modern vernacular, what we do as Bible believers is well, we kind of got a list of priorities and we got to get the right, we call it balance. And I hear that word used more times than not when it's to justify worldly behaviors. It's called balance now. Oh, okay, well, let's make sure that we're not using that to justify doing something the Lord doesn't want us to do. Anything that gets in your life that puts a barrier between you and Him is called an idol. It's idol. It's something that prevents, it's ahead of God, in other words. And what can happen is, is before long, the Bible can, can, can lose its, uh, its sweetness to you. It can lose that. You get older, you think, I'll come back to it. Have you ever looked around? You don't have as many elderly people in here as you think you do. Come on. Come on. What makes you think when you get older, you're going to come back? Amen. Now, you ought to ask these old people how they got back, how they're here. But don't ask them to tell you, when I, did you leave any time during that? Some of them might tell you, I've been gone 20 years. You look at them now, you figure, well, they've been here since when? Maybe not. You don't know that. There's no guarantee. I remember being at a, a youth camp one time and one of the kids came up to the old preacher and it broke his heart. And he said, you know, talking about the prodigal coming back and all that. And he walked up to him and he said, well, you made it back. And he said, don't ever think that just because he allowed me to get back that you'll get back, young man. Right. Well, the mistaken idea is if I let these things slip away that it, it's always there. It, it'll always come back. The longer you stay away, it's like an ember you pull off of a fire and you take one of those big logs out of there and you don't want it to burn all night and so you just slide it over here off to the side and if it stays away from that fire too long, you know what will happen? You'll have to restart that log again. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose that fire. You can lose that, that desire for God's things, that desire for prophetic things, that desire for thinking about heaven, hell, eternity. I mean, sometimes it's a real good snap around when, when uh, all of a sudden somebody dies and you got somebody in a box. And then you're thinking, well, what if that was me? Well, if it was you, then you, you die in the condition you're in now. Are you in as good a fellowship as you want to be with the Lord? Oh, and now, preacher, everybody can improve. No, could stop doing that. Stop. That's just such a chicken lily-livered, yellow-bellied way to go at something. I'm not talking about anybody being as good as they can be or as perfect as they can be. Are you where the Lord would have you now? Or has it slipped away? Has it just kind of eased away? It never, it never yanked. It never just gets amputated. Not for a Bible believer. It's never a meat cleaver that comes in there and just severs the thing. It's just gradually over time. That boat looks like it's tied up and the knot's there and it's on the post, you know. And, and the boat rocks back and forth a little bit. And the rope begins to move just a little bit. And it gets just a little bit looser. And it gets a little looser. And that square knot begins to work its out, self out. And then before long, just a little granny knot that's there. And then... Next thing you know, a little wind comes and it begins to drift and you go out one morning and, well, I know I tied that thing up. When's the last time you checked the knot? That knot slips. You never had something tied off and the next thing you know it's untied and you're thinking, how'd that happen? Vibration, wind, any number of things. There's not constant tension on that thing. You know what happens? The knot works loose. It's not natural for it to be that way. 
And so what happens? You say, I'm just saying you should check the knot. Just encouraging you. You say, why? Because of the warnings in the last days, we depart from the faith. The warning in the last days is to us as Christians in the last days that said, you better be careful, you'll depart from the faith. I'm just ensuring that I don't depart. I'm scared I will depart. I'm not preaching this as one having not departed. I'm not preaching that. I'm preaching this to you because I'm as concerned about me as you. I think only by God's grace am I able to stay where I stay and God's people pray. And otherwise the knot will come loose and I'll be out there on the sea of forgetfulness. I worry about that. You say, why? It don't take much. It don't take much. I've seen bitterness loosen that lot of, not a lot of times. Anger and wrath and misconception and all that kind of stuff. I've seen that evil heart of unbelief. I'll give you a verse I have a hard time believing. <laughs> I, evil heart of unbelief, right? It only effectually works in you that believe, right? Second First Thessalonians 2, right? For we know all things work together for good to them that love God, them that are called according to His purpose. Lord, increase my faith. Amen. I've seen some things happen yes. to me and some friends of mine. And he says it does. I know I'm supposed to believe it. <laughs> I must not believe it enough because it doesn't seem to be effectual in me right now. Oh, see, I'm not like some of y'all. We're just like, well, I just believe that. Well, you hadn't had one of those unexplicable things occur to you. And you're thinking to yourself, well, now, how's that supposed to work out? And you know, the most difficult thing is, is he doesn't always give you an answer for it. Right. Amen. And, and trust me now, I'm not telling you when I get up, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the Lord, why'd you do this? I, I'm not me. I'm being the back of the pile somewhere. I'm going to try to go in unnoticed. I'd be glad I'm there. But. I'm not going to be up there with my finger in the Lord's face going, why would you do this to me? I'm not. But down here sometimes <laughs> I do that. <laughs> you never done that before? I know, God, you could have stopped it. Evil heart of unbelief. Fowls come in and grab the seed before it can get in. Snatch it out. Preacher, not out of you, you know. I mean, Yeah, yeah, devil right there, come in. Grab it. Next thing you know, I'm looking at the verse and I know what it says, but... All right, now the next thing I want to show you here is in Hebrews chapter number 12. Not only can you slip away and not only can you not believe what he said about those things, if we know all things work together for good, right? Do you believe that he that uh, begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ? You believe that? <laughs> you know the song they used to sing over there, you know, he's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. Do you ever realize that sometimes, I looked at the picture this morning in my office at the house. There's a picture up there the old preacher, preacher drew and I shrunk it down so I could have it. It's about postcard size. It's sitting there right there at the bookshelf just to my left when I'm sitting. And it's got uh, the Lord that's standing there and he's got a sword. And he's got it on an anvil and it's red hot. And he's got a hammer. And he's hitting that thing and he's got Moses, David... Jeremiah, and Elijah, and Elisha, and Peter, and Paul. He's still working on me. Amen. You know what that means to me? That means to me that as much as I think I might have arrived, the Lord's still working on me. And guess what? Sometimes the strikes of His hammer hit hard on my heart. 
And sometimes what I see in older, more mature Christians is when trouble comes our way, we have a tendency to say, what are you working on? I thought I was already pretty well perfect. <laughs> That's why you bucket. We're bad about saying, why don't you get that Christian? And why don't you get that Christian? Boy, God's mill grinds fine, doesn't it? And exceedingly slow. And that stuff comes my way and the Lord says, you need it, bud. And I'm like, how's this working out for my good? Because I'm conforming you to my image and, I don't, and I'm not liking what I see. Still getting a little cold there. Back in the fire. Starting to lose its image now. Good. Starting to not being look so much like the ice tray anymore. Good. Lord, uh, how long <laughs> till I work out the imperfections? Amen. So I'm going to say until you're dead. You know, the most difficult things, ladies and gentlemen, as straight up as I know how to be with you, is when God has the loving care and kindness of a good father and he sees things in me and you that he knows it and right. And he takes the time to whip us and to wear us out, whether we like it or not, because he knows he chastens us because he loves us. It's not always for doing bad. It's there's things he sees in us that are not like him at all. So he lays you on the anvil and he wears you out. That's the Christian life. And instead of rejoicing in it and saying, well, thank the Lord, praise the Lord, He sees the problems that can be, I call it preventative maintenance. Yes. Amen. Right? Amen. Boy, if I don't work on it now, that's going to come apart in the storm. Yep. Yeah. Real good, yes. So it's hard. You ever thank the Lord for that? Sure. I'm talking about those, what I call them, tongue and groovers, those problems that come your way that just, just feel like, man, you're going to melt. You're not going to survive it. The, the pressure's so great you want to quit. That kind of pressure. I know you can't lose your salvation, but it's like I'm just done. You never been there before? Yes. You ever had that hammer hit you on the anvil? You get caught between two hard things and the master's hand is over there, nail scarred, and he's bringing that hammer down. And he, in his mind, he knows what he's trying to shape you in. You know what that metal's trying to say? I don't want to be what you're trying to make me. Back in the fire. Till you surrender. You say, why? For we know all things. God's doing something you may not recognize until years later. Lord knocked an edge off right there. It's like, Lord, you sure are good. Hebrews chapter number 12. The Bible teaches you this. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, they're not up there watching you. He's referring to the ones in Hebrews 11. Let us lay aside, I want to stop here on this one, every what? Wait. Wait. Come to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Weights can hinder you. You say, preacher, what are weights? They're things that get between you and the Lord. Pockets are for carrying weight. Worldly priorities. What level of important things do? Excess bag baggage. Things that you don't necessarily need. 
The illustration is generally used as a runner. If he's getting ready to run a marathon, he doesn't generally have. Now, if he's one of these 100 milers or something like that, like some of these special ops guys run and those kind of things, they travel as light as is possible and they're allowed to stop along the way at water stations and then they'll carry a couple of little uh, water jugs with them because they have to stay hydrated and then somebody will feed them a little something along the way, but you won't find weights on them. Christians have to learn to jettison the weight if they're going to run effectively. The weight sometimes can burden you to the point you can't run what God would have you to run. He said, Let's, let us run the race with patience. That makes me gag. <laughs> with patience. You say, why? The Lord wrote a verse in the Bible for me. They that wait upon the Lord. I don't know, you probably don't do this. I, a lot of time in my Christian life, I've spent running ahead of Him. Hey, they that wait upon the Lord. You're wore out. Why? Because you're not waiting on me. My yoke is easy. My burden light. You ain't even in the yoke. Better come back here. Get in the yoke. Go at the pace he wants you to. But then he said, lay aside every weight. You say, well, that's just sin. No, 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 no. And sin. Some things are weight, but they're not sin. Sometimes you can be burdened with uh, psychological things or emotional things. Sometimes you can be burdened with things that have to do with making a living. You can be burdened with provision. You can be burdened with fear. You can be worried about making sure you have enough laid up for whatever may happen. This uh, country is insurance crazy. You think you can insure against everything. What about the people that don't have money for insurance? I guess they just have to trust the Lord. Don't I didn't tell you insurance is bad. I'm, I'm telling you that. But they insurance every, everything nowadays. We bought these little tiny uh, flashlights. They're not very expensive at all. These kind of things. You know what it put up when they get ready to order the thing? Would you like to buy a, a, a warranty? <laughs> what? For what I paid for the warranty, I could buy four dozen of the things. <laughs> well, you want a warranty. Do you want a warranty? Do you want a warranty? It's a scheme. You can't insure all the, everything in life. You know, but you, at the same time, ladies and gentlemen, you don't buy fire insurance after fire's burning in the basement. Right. That's right. Do you know how many people tried to backdate flood papers back when Katrina came through? Yeah. Well, everybody else is doing it. That's a weight that'll get you. That one's a sin too. Look at this, First Timothy. I'll give you this. We'll take a break. First Timothy is helping it all. Look at verse 7. For he brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Doesn't mean the more poor you are, the more spiritual you are. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare, and into many foolish hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, and while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's somebody that started in the faith, and they were doing fine, but they got burdened with making money. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many a witness. Now one of the weights that can hold you down is, is the pressure of feeling like more is better. Yeah. No, it's whatever God gives you is better. Amen. And he doesn't give the same equitably to everybody. Otherwise you have communism. Communism is, is that everybody gets the same thing. You never looked at the top of that pyramid. You never looked at Lenin and Marx and Stalin and Ho Chi Minh and all that. You never looked at them. 
They sure didn't live by that. You talk about living high on the hog. They did. But their people didn't. 